Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, where we are still not the official podcast of the NFL, but only because <laughs> we haven't asked, Dave, not because they've said no. Uh, but I, I thought just talking about it would, would get them <laughs> I to... Know, right? Yeah. Hopefully their people will just reach out to us and it'll be fine. But uh, anyway, keep an eye out for a GoFundMe uh, for a Vet Tech Cafe Super Bowl <laughs> commercial for next year. Uh, that might be coming. I don't, I don't know though. that we're going to get the money for an ad for next year. If if we only <laughs> no. start right now, yeah. we're going to need a couple years to get we're that. We're going to need a couple years. <laughs> and by then, it'll be a couple more million dollars we'll have to raise. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Oh, well. I'll have to let that Not with that go. attitude, it won't. Seriously. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's right. Get that in check, Jeff. Um, I'd like to give a special shout out to our Italian caffeinators. Grazie for tuning in all the way from Italy. Um, we hope you're enjoying the, the show. We'd like to thank all of our caffeinators around the globe for your continued support and repping our merchandise um, to our Patreons for supporting us. We really, really appreciate that. And just continuing to download our episodes and subscribe to all of our channels. If you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, um, head over to vettechcafe.com. That's where you can find all of the info about Dave and I, who we are, why we do this. And then you can follow along on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. And then we also have a YouTube channel where we upload the raw video from our Taproom episodes. So you can subscribe to that too. Oh boy, that's a lot. Dave, how's it going out there? Bail me out here. Uh it, it's good. It, it, we're not quite as cold. Like the the last few days, I've woken up to 17, 18 degrees uh, and having to like break through the water troughs for the horses. So I'm much happier today. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm much happier with it being 29 degrees when I woke up. <laughs> uh, not a phrase that I thought I would ever have to say again when I moved down here uh, yeah. from New England, but yeah. we are... We're, we're getting by and I'm going to, my plan is by the time this uploads, it will have happened or not happened. I'm planning to go to Chicago on Thursday to give my work-life balance talk to uh-huh. some, some, uh, a management group and it's supposed to snow. So I don't know if I'm going or not. So mm. we'll see. TBD. We'll see what happens. Hey, maybe, maybe TBD. you get an extra day there and you, you get, you get marooned in Chicago and, and get to like sightsee a little bit and then come back. A day I, I later. don't know that I'm going to sightsee in Chicago in January. That's not something I think I want to do. I mean, the breweries <laughs> are still open. Well, uh, well, yeah, but is that sightseeing? That's just, <laughs> it is that's me. just making the best of a bad situation in my, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, see, now we got to work on your mindset. There you go. <laughs> but things are good here. How, how are things going out uh, there it, in non-weather changing California? Well, actually, uh, the weather is changed. Uh, today oh. is the first day I've seen the sun uh, in three days. It's been three days of rain, uh, which is which, of course, I have loved. But 
I am learning that with a one and a half year old, three days of rain is challenging um, because the parks are flooded and there's just not a lot to do indoors with a toddler. Uh, but we made well, it through. Just, um, just put on put on, put on boots and let her go splash. Oh, into we the... do we do that multiple yeah. times. But she's only got so many outfits that we can like get soaking wet and then so yeah. But we but she's had a lot of fun. She has been splashing in puddles basically nonstop for three days. So it's been great. Uh, my nice. wife and I are, are both a little bit under the weather. Daphne had a cold last week, and I think we're now getting it. So hooray for that. Um, so little little virus factories. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically. So, but otherwise, um, good here. Um, you don't sound sick, so that's good. Good, good, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, well, we'll go ahead and go get started here. We've got another really, really great episode coming to you guys today. Um, we have Marina John joining us today. Marina is a seasoned RBT with over 10 years of diverse experience. Um, she embarked on her veterinary journey after an unconventional start. We're going to hear a lot about that today. Uh, following a specialized honors Bachelor of Science degree from York University, she found her passion while teaching ESL in Seoul, South Korea, stumbling upon the RBT diploma degree at the University of Guelph. Uh, currently, she wears multiple hats, serving as the vice president of the British Columbia Veterinary Technologist Association and instructing the vet assistant program at Vancouver Island University. Her expertise spans large animal sciences, lab animal sciences, companion animal ophthalmology, ER, UC, and referral services. Uh, with a veterinary acupuncture certification from the G Institute, uh, she played a pivotal role in developing the acupuncture department at a small animal general practice. And her extensive background includes roles as a swine farrowing tech, a lead tech, production manager, and contributing to a mixed animal practice handling companion animals, exotics, and avian species. Committed to giving back, she volunteers with a local charity providing veterinary care to the low-income population of the city in which she resides. And lastly, recently, Marina launched her own locum RBT business, embracing a fulfilling career as a traveling veterinary technologist. Amazing stuff. So, Marina, first of all, thank you so much for taking some time to come out and talk to us about all of this. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Well, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, I am a bit of a caffeine fiend, so <laughs> uh, anything from a mocha to a tea is usually my my drink. I I'm trying to cut back. I was at five to seven cups a day. I'm Ooh. I'm down to three. Ooh. I know I have a small problem. No, that's, that's okay. That's okay. There, there's we are worse, not here to judge. Yeah, there, we have yeah. problems like that too. to have for sure. <laughs> Any more than like two sure. to maybe two and a half. I'm like really fidgety and spun out but usually a solid two cup i I, believe me if i could handle three to five i would do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so if you don't mind i know i kind of touched on some of the stuff there in your bio but but take us through your career path how you got started some of the stops along the way and what you're doing now and we'll jump off from there yeah absolutely so yeah thank you Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. And yes, as you mentioned, I started in a very atypical way. I did not know that I wanted to be a veterinary technologist. I didn't know that a veterinary technologist was a career. I'd never heard of it before I started doing it. Um, I didn't grow up with pets. I had a pet for all of one year. It did not go well. My parents are not (laughs) animal people. 
So if you if you have parents who are not animal people and you bring a dog home one day, uh, it's not going to end well, especially right. when you're a child. Right. <laughs> I, right. That, that was my that was my growing up experience as well. My parents were not into, into yes. animals at all. <laughs> right. And I've always had this um, savior mentality where I'd see something that was hurting and I'd be like, well, I can take you home and I, and I will, I will rescue you and I will nurse you back to health. Um, I'm one of those people where I can't get through a sad dog commercial. <laughs> and I, when, I always, when we're watching movies together, my husband and I will be like, okay, this is the part where like the animal gets hurt. So I need you to close your eyes and close your mm -hmm, ears and, mm -hmm. you know, earmuffs. Okay. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> so John Wick is not your, your style of movie? John Wick is my hero. Okay. <laughs> He's my personal hero. But I'm like, Lord help the person who hurts any of my creatures or any of the creatures under my care. I will John Wick you. Not a doubt. <laughs> um, so I went to university and I got my Bachelor of Science because, I mean, that's just what you did. And not going to university was not a thing, especially growing up in a, a South Indian family where most of my family is either lawyers or doctors. So I had two career paths in front of me. I could be a lawyer, actually three, a lawyer, a doctor, or a teacher. And I thought, I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> So I um, said, okay, well, you know what? I'll try teaching and I don't want to commit and go to teacher's college first. I want to teach ESL out in South Korea. I want to experience a new, uh, a new area, a new language, a new culture, and I want to see if it's right for me, especially as someone for whom English is not my first language. I'm like, I can really understand where they're coming from. I can resonate with them. And I taught grades five through eight, which is a really interesting, very diverse group of uh, individuals because your grade fives are excited about everything and your grade eights are pre-teenagers who are excited about nothing and know everything Correct. already oh a hundred percent yes they know everything already <laughs> and they've already made up their minds they don't need to know english what are they going to do with it so right. i got to really experience a range of walking into a classroom and going hey we're going to learn today and getting you know cheers and yes okay let's do something fun to yeah, no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned my communication ability very quickly because with teenagers, you only get so many chances before they're like, hmm, no. So that was a huge learning opportunity for me. And I loved it. But I always felt like something just was missing. So funnily enough, um, a little embarrassingly enough, I was on BuzzFeed one day and I took a quiz that said, what is the right career for you? <laughs> <laughs> and vet tech was one of my top five picks. And I thought to myself, oh, well, what's a vet tech? So that's kind of the rabbit hole that I went down and um, I started looking into it. And I went home that day and I talked to my husband and I said, so, you know, I've done banking and I've done human medicine because I initially thought I wanted to go into human nursing and I volunteered at the pediatric oncology department because I mean if you're going to start right why not go right for the deep end who wants wow who wants to have a beginner start like if you, no, if no, you can't make it through sad dog commercials how are you making through <laughs> kids with cancer how like <laughs> okay in my defense I was 18 <laughs> okay okay um and I surprisingly enough, I, I did okay. I did well because the portion that I was responsible for was not directly related to the children with cancer. It was their siblings. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was responsible for making sure those children who came with those families, because those parents are exhausted. Yeah. And all of their energy, all of their mental faculties are engaged with the child who needs primary medical care, not so much the siblings. Yeah. The siblings have, they're going through the same things. And they have some very big questions that need to be answered. And when you are in a room with a seven-year-old who's asking you if their baby brother is going to make it through the night, that's a huge moment. And it's a huge learning curve. So again, all things that now looking back have really influenced who I am as a technologist. But going home that day to my husband and saying, hey, I know I've, I've, you know, kind of bounced around. And I know we're here in, in Korea and doing this. But I really think I want to go to tech school. And he went, okay, then do it. Apply. So I applied to every technology school because I was convinced I was not going to get in. I had no experience. I'd never worked with animals. I didn't even know what a vet tech was. (laughs) (laughs) But I got in. We went to school. And God bless my partner. He worked a minimum wage customer service job in the next town over because the city where the school is, is not in Guelph. Uh, it's actually in Ridgetown, which if you were to drive through the city, if you close your eyes, you will miss the town. It's that small. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, we drove through a few times and I went, where is the school? Where is this town? Because moving from Toronto to Ridgetown, which is a city of under a thousand people, okay. it's a very different experience. Yeah. But I did that. I graduated and then we moved back in with my parents because we were broke. I mean, talk about living paycheck to paycheck, right? That's how you start when you're a veterinary technologist is you have no money, you have no resources. (laughs) And and for some people, it's not just the start. It's like the first five years or or longer or longer. It's it's the career. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. 100%. So we went from that to living with my parents. Eventually, we were able to move out, and I got an apartment that was above the vet clinic I worked at, which, again, in my defense, I was really young. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good idea because I was like, hey, it's amazing. <laughs> I have, like, no commute. I can go home for lunch. I can take my dogs out, all of which was true. But I was never not working. Right. Because I'm right up, I'm right there. So yeah. anytime someone called in sick, anytime they were really busy, I remember once um, it was two clinics. So it was owned by a father and a son. And the father owned the GP slash ophthalmology practice. And right next door, the son owned the ER referral and urgent care practice. So, and I worked at both. So one night I remember getting a text message at 11 o'clock at night when we're all asleep in bed. And it said, hey, there's no techs available. Like the only tech we had on had to go home sick and we've got 14 patients checked in. And one of them like is probably going to need CPR in the next few minutes. <laughs> so I remember rolling out of bed in a panic, throwing all my scrubs and running downstairs. And I worked a 17 hour shift that day before I went back home. And that was normal. Mm-hmm. It had been normalized yeah. because we, the generation that I came from was that modern generation where not taking your breaks, not having family time, not ever leaving on time, not having days off right. and coming in on your days off was seen as a point of pride as opposed to thank goodness. We're now getting to the point where we're saying enough is enough. 
because it's not sustainable. And we're finally starting to recognize that. Yeah. And I, I, I remember that those days yeah. when I was a young baby tech of being proud that I worked 28 days in a row. Like, yes. And I think back to that now, like what an idiot I was for thinking that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember being the tech that was like, I would lift animals that were like three times my body weight. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I've got this. Don't even, no, I don't need anyone to help me. Don't even worry about it. Now mm-hmm. I get out of bed the wrong way. My back is like, oh, <laughs> Oh, yep. let's try that again now. Yeah. So you don't realize these things when they're happening to you. And now that I'm at a stage in my life where I can look back and go, wow, like it's good to know that I've done things wrong because now I know how to do it right. And more importantly, I can help others when I see them making, going through the same things that I went through. I can go, hey, I know how you're feeling because I've been there. Mm-hmm. And let me show you wh- what this is going to do to you 10 years down the road. Like I can tell the weather with how much my knees hurt. That's <laughs> not okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's, that's a, that's a huge thing. And, it, and it's very hard to get people to understand that. Uh, I remember back when I was much younger, we had the, the people that, that came to get the bodies out of our freezer. This is a, yes. this is a kind of a grotesque story. Um, but they always had these young guys like, could have been 21, 22 years old, come yeah. to get these bodies out of the freezer. And every single time, like, you want me to want me to help you get that yeah. 80, 90 pound dog out of the bottom of the freezer? No, no, I got it. Guess how long yeah. those guys lasted in that job? Like every two years, there was a new person coming in because they blew their back out from doing something stupid. And yeah. it, it's, an, it's a testament to, to Jeff and I being in this field as long as we have been, because at some point we realized... I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't, I can't pick up these huge dogs. I can't, I can't wrestle with, with animals anymore. And man, I, I wish people would just understand it and, and get over the pride thing because I, I still see it where people are still proud of the, of the torture that they put their bodies through. Yeah, exactly. It's not a merit of honor. It's not a badge mm-hmm. that we should be celebrating. Right. We should I, be. I going- wish we could change that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's like one of my top five things that if I was granted a wish by a genie, A, I'd be like, I need more than three wishes because I, I, <laughs> I need more. <laughs> but that would definitely make the list. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting career. And I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, when I was in school, I worked as farrowing tech. Something I'd never done before. I'd never even seen a real life pig before I started working as farrowing <laughs> is, tech. Is is farrowing is that birthing? So it's got some of the midwife responsibilities, but I neutered two hundred piglets a day. I was Damn. responsible for herd health and I was responsible for a production number. So essentially making sure that all of the herd survived, was in great health, and was at their maximum body weight before they were sent on to the next facility. I also did uh, tail docking, teeth notching, as well as giving iron injections. Wow. I, I've heard the term farrowing before, but I, it's been a while that I actually understood what it meant. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, so we, we always like to ask our guests, and, and you, uh, you being in, in Canada, may have a different take on this. Um, how do you see the profession itself? You you have a unique perspective because you have your hands in so many different facets of this profession. Um, where do you see the, the profession right now? I see the profession in a better place than it has been for the last few decades. 
I see veterinary technologists really starting to advocate for themselves and groups like the BCVTA, the BC Veterinary Technologists Association, is really instrumental in being able to move the profession forward because we are fighting for um, scope of protection. We're, we're fighting for scope of responsibilities and delegation of duties and being able to define what a veterinary technologist can and cannot do and having that protected so that we can say, yeah, we deserve to be paid X amount of dollars because we are the only ones who can do this, this, and this. And we've finally gotten title protection out here, which has been a big thing because up until not that long ago, you could hire Joe Schmo off the street and put them in and have them start working and doing what we do, which is not safe for anybody. Is not It causes a lot of stress. So thanks to the work of volunteers, like really, we're all volunteers. We don't get paid for any of this, but we're out there advocating for the profession because we believe in what we do. We know that this can be a sustainable career, but it's going to take time. And I mm -hmm. think this generation is just the most amazing generation because I really intensely dislike it when I hear people saying, oh, you know, this generation, they're so lazy. They don't really want to work. You know, they're just not, they, they're not motivated the way that previous generations were. To me, I think, have you actually talked to any of them? They're extraordinarily passionate. They're well-versed in what's happening around them. They're involved in politics. They're involved in the environment. They're involved in this career. They just know their boundaries well, and they don't have a problem with sticking to those boundaries. And that is a really fundamental thing in creating sustainable careers in this industry, in my opinion. Just thinking about like the differences between Canada and the, and the U.S., do, do you, I don't know if you have a, a point of reference for this, but do you, do you feel like the the legislation gears turn a little bit quicker in Canada? Because I, I think back to, gosh, Jeff, who was the who was the tech that we talked to that got the decline? I, I don't know why I can't Oh, Alexandra. Alexandra, she got declawing, banned in Quebec, and it seemed like it took a year, maybe two years to get all that stuff done. And as a vet tech, she did that. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine a vet tech in the U.S. being able to make a change like that. I agree. I, I understand completely. I had the recent opportunity to chat with a few veterinary technologists from the U.S., and our experiences are so vastly different, even though, again, we hold the same titles, but what they're able to do and what, we're, what we are able to do is so different. And that has a lot to do with our government and our policies. And the, especially out here in BC, there's such a focus on conservation and such a focus on animal rights that being able to get things move forward, I find, is it still takes years because it's still government and it's still policy, but comparatively, we've come a long way. And the other thing that I notice is in the States, especially from state to state, it's so different. And the pay varies so much. I read a lot about these um, veterinary technologists who are highly trained, highly skilled, who are barely making minimum wage. Like you cannot live on that. And so the minute anything changes in their life, a boyfriend breaks up with them or their car breaks down or, you know, the bus doesn't go on that route anymore. There are posts up every single day. I can't afford to do this. I have to leave this profession. Like, I can't live on this. To me, that's really shocking because out here, especially in BC, techs are comparatively well paid because there's such a shortage. Because there's a shortage, 
were very valued, which shouldn't be the way it should be, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Supply and demand out, out there. Yeah. I mean, I always get confused. Like for some reason, I, I don't know why I think this, but I think that, that BC is on the East coast like me, but it's, it's way out on the it's West coast. West, isn't it? Western coast, it's yeah. West coast. I don't know yeah. why I think it's, it's on the East coast, but it, <laughs> I don't know. It's my geographical <laughs> ignorance, I guess. <laughs> um, well, Marina, I know you mentioned kind of as you were going through your career path there, teaching ESL in Korea and then kind of taking the the, the quiz that, you know, kind of gave you the vet tech career path as an option. I'm curious, like, at what point in that process of probably, I guess, being in school where you were like, yes, this is actually what it is that I want to do? Like, was there a light bulb moment? Was there something along those lines? Or was it like you graduated the program and you kind of learned everything and you're like, yeah, actually I, I could do this or, or, or was it something in the program that was like, yes, this is it. Yeah. Um, two pivotal moments in the program that made me realize that this is, this is what I want to do. Uh, one was I had an absolutely phenomenal nursing instructor. And the first time I took my animal nursing course is when I was like, okay, this is what I was meant to do. Because for the first time I got to include, I love lab animal sciences. Like I love a microscope and I can fix almost any microscope. Pretty proud of that. <laughs> but being able to combine my love of chemistry, of sciences, of the theory with actual hands-on practical doings and being able to make a genuine change in the quality of life of animals. That was my moment. The other moment was, and this is a, a little bit of an unfortunate moment, but I think, you know, we're all kind of aware that the veterinary industry for all of its good, for all of its amazing potential, for all of the love and heart that goes into it, it does have a little bit of a darker underbelly of some toxicity and bullying. So I did have a vet who was a clinician who sat me down one day and just told me outright, you shouldn't be a tech. This is not right for you. You are not going to make it. You are wasting your life and you are wasting your money. So I think it would be better if you just quit school. And so it was hard. It was Thank God you didn't listen to him. <laughs> well, you know, as a, as a baby tech, hearing this from vets, and again, I'm from that generation where it was a vet's word is, you know, the final yeah. word. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or you yeah. as a tech to question a vet, right? And as someone who, for whom this was my second career. So I was the oldest person in my class. It was a very different um, environment for me than most of my colleagues. And most of my colleagues were also from a very traditional path. They had always known that they wanted to do this. They loved animals. They had been volunteering or working in clinics already, and they just need to get their degree. Not at all the case for me. I hadn't really ever been in a clinic. So hearing that was devastating. Um, and again, I went home and, uh, you know, sat down with my husband and said, so, you know, here's what uh, so-and-so said. And God bless him. He looked at me and went, yeah, yeah, you're not the kind of person who's going to take no for an <laughs> What did and you say to that? What did you say to the doctor? At the time, I think I was just completely stunned. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know how to react. So I don't fully remember how that conversation even ended. I just left and went home and kind of, you know, mulled it over. Sure, sure. I went back the next day. Yeah. 
and I'm yeah. 10 years later, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Right, right. So, <laughs> um, and very recently in the last probably about six to eight months, I did actually reach out to that person, especially after I started teaching at the university, because I came to realize that how inappropriate that was. Yeah. And I, to this day, I think to myself, I would never, ever treat a student like that. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was someone who I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is right for you. That's not the way to have the conversation. Right, right. So I reached back out and I and I sent them an email and I said, hey, you're not going to remember me, but I wanted to let you know that this is a conversation we had. And I wanted to let you know the, the impact that that had on me was devastating. And anyways, it it was not acknowledged, but it gave me closure and I've moved on. Yeah. So those were the two moments where I went. Okay. I had the one person who gave me all this encouragement and said, "Hey, nursing and animal care. This is your. This is what you were like born yeah. to do." And this other person saying, "You should not be a tech." And between both of them, I went, "Yeah, this is what I'm going to do." <laughs> do Do you feel like that that you should not be a tech? I that conversation was coming from a like you're already so far behind the other students because you've not done this before. Do, do, do you think that person thought perhaps you were too smart, like you were too good for this profession and you really should be a doctor or something else? Or, or do you feel like it was just like a, you know, like a personal, I don't like you, you shouldn't be here. Like, did, did you ever, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I would be, maybe you never found out or I just would be very curious the motivation for that. I I wondered about the driving factor behind that sort of a conversation for quite a long time. I think it was a combination of, yes, we did not, um, we did not see eye to eye. Okay. And uh, there's a bit of a history there, but that individual was eventually removed from faculty for bullying Good. and harassment. Good. And I was, again, I'm one of those people where you're welcome to try, but odds are <laughs> it's not going to go over well. Right. Um, because I'm not, especially at that time, I was like, I'm, I'm not a 17 or 19 year old teenager. Like I was yeah. well into my late twenties. This was my second career. I was like, yeah, you can, you, you do you, I will take the skills that you have and I will leave you with the rest because whatever it is that's making you this way is a personal thing. And you need to deal with that because there's some great deep sadness that's causing you to behave like this. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's the way yeah. I chose to look at it yeah. and move on. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to give this, this person any credit for what they said to you, but, but yeah. it has had an impact on you and, and it yeah. has made you be a better teacher, I think, because not only do we learn what we need to do, but we learn what we don't need to do. And that 100%. is an example of something that should not be said to a student, uh, whether or not you were struggling trying hard, trying your hardest to get, to get to where you need to be. That, that is something like for me, I, I would, I would have so many conversations in my head driving home being like, Oh yeah, well, you're not a good teacher and you're not a good mentor. And, and all yeah. these things that I would never say to his face, but yeah. that the thought that came in my head, but, but it, it clearly had an impact on you because it's 10 years down the road and you're still thinking about it. And yeah, Using that as motivation, which which yes. I think is is important to to use that as motivation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, part the sad part about our industry is that's not 
that was while it was the first incident of something like that it certainly wasn't the last right sure we've all worked with those doctors right i mean Mm -hmm. my first official job was with a veterinarian and i was the only staff member because he had just opened this practice and apart from having four walls and a roof we had nothing (laughs) in the clinic yeah so he hired me on and basically went, great, so you're going to be the lead tech, the receptionist, and the manager. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I've been out of school for all of five minutes. Um, sure, I'll figure it out. But being the manager, you only had one person to manage, which yeah, is Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? My employee was not a – she was a handful. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but this is back in the day when AVP wasn't online and had the binders. Okay. And so our um, purchasing group was not a website. It was a, a big binder that went out to every practice. Mm. And so Ooh. he handed me this binder and said, order everything of that clinic needs. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did. I ordered everything from uh, towels to surgical equipment. Wow. I hired all of the staff. I trained all of the staff. And well, you every were the staff, though, right? <laughs> yeah, well, eventually, yeah. <laughs> eventually, we I ended up hiring a receptionist and an, and another technologist and a, wow. um, an assistant. And so all of these things that I had never done before, but you figure it out as you go along. You make your mistakes as you go along, but it makes you a better person down the road. Um, and for the months that I was there, every day he would tell me, uh, we something would come up and he would say, nope, that's not right. And I'd say, okay, well, like, could you tell me where it's wrong? Because, like, guidance. This is how yeah. you know I spent the. This is how we were trained. This was the gold standard. This is what we were told. And every day, I would get two comments: "You're just a woman. You're just a tech." <laughs> and and you lasted there for how many months? Um, just under a year. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I, mm. Yeah, but props I, to you because man. Yeah. It was a. It was partially out of desperation because in Eastern Ontario, when we all graduate, there's such a huge influx of veterinary technologists into the field all uh, at the same time that it was really hard to find a job. So I was, I just had to. Like I needed to get out of my parents' basement. I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I hear <laughs> I that. My I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other part was I was I was so broken down at that point that I had convinced myself that I wasn't good enough to go anywhere else. Right. Oh yeah. 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 I, I didn't even think of that part of it. Oh man. Yeah. So there's a, there's a huge psychological side to our profession that I think it's really important for people to talk about Yeah. because going into therapy and getting help and all of that, again, for that time and for the people that I was surrounded with was seen as such a negative. And it was seen as like, Oh, you don't have what it takes to crack it in this profession. If you need to be going and getting help. Mm-hmm. So oh. I'm quite, I speak quite freely about these things and I'm quite vocal about it because what we do is so hard. It's really great, but it's so hard. Yeah. And if you don't talk about it, we have the potential to end up in a really bad situation. I mean, not one more vet is a great example of a group that addresses those situations. What other profession has that? Like yeah. it, to me, it's no, mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oof. Wow, we are, I mean, we are flying by here. We are more than halfway <laughs> it, through. Are and, we really? Oh my gosh. And I feel like we're just getting started. Yeah, so why don't yeah. we take our quick break here and we'll be back uh, in a few moments and we'll, we'll, we'll get right back at it.
The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators, at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really liked that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, having yet another quote-unquote international series uh, episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, same continent, but but different country, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, Marina, we, we always like to ask our guests after our BetterHelp ad, how do you manage your own mental health? It seems like you have your hands in a lot of different uh, areas of, of the field, and it's like just reading through your bio, I was exhausted. How do you <laughs> How do you maintain your own mental health? Uh, so I think for me, what's been really critical is having a really solid support system. Yeah. I have some fantastic mentors um, who have literally dropped everything and picked up the phone and gone, okay, something's not right. Let's talk. And they've set time aside for me. I have a very, very good relationship with my partner now. It wasn't always like this. My career has definitely impacted my relationships. But when I've gotten to the point where I've started to put more boundaries in place. Our relationship has been stronger than ever. And so having that support at home, having that support outside of the house, also going to counseling sessions and talking to people. And one of the other things I do on the side is I do a lot of arts. So I do a lot of painting. I I knit, I crochet, anything I could get my hands on, I'll do. And there is a meditation and yoga center in town that does silent retreats periodically. So that's something I want to be involved with as well, because uh, I think it's really important at least once a week for an hour to make that time for yourself, to not make excuses about how you're too busy to make that time for yourself and to just sit quietly and just be for mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, looking at... Um... Being a, a technician in Canada uh, versus the U.S., you mentioned a couple of kind of stark differences already in, in terms of U.S. and state to state and you guys kind of being more nationally mandated, if you will, in terms of responsibilities, but then also the pay. Uh, so what are some other differences or similarities that you've seen through your experiences or your conversations with uh, colleagues in your country and colleagues here in the U.S.? I think our driving force and our ethos is very similar. We're all in this because of the love of animals. And I see that resonate across the nation from Canada to U.S. 
I definitely see that passion as well. And I, the other thing that I see, again, that quite saddens me is the burnout. So I was recently this really interesting talk, which put forth the idea that we don't necessarily suffer from compassion fatigue so much as just fatigue, because we have boundless compassion. We never stop caring. We're empathizers more than sympathizers. And being able to make those distinctions and realize that you can have compassion, but you've got to also have compassion for yourself. And you've got to be able to separate from being sympathetic in that situation and being able to recognize the pain that someone else is going through rather than making it your own. So that compassion, that burnout is throughout our industry. And that I think is something that fundamentally has to change because we need for this to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your work with the BCVTA. Um, You are the vice president of that association. And so tell us why that's important to you. We're always trying to push people towards getting involved in their tech association. So why is that important to you? Yeah. So the reason why I went to join the BCVTA was because throughout my career, I'd always been that person who, (laughs) when there's a staff meeting and they say, hey, does anyone have any feedback or, um, you know, notes for things that we could improve? I would be the girl that would pull out the list of lists. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't believe in being the person that just talks about change. I want to be a person who's involved in making that change. Yeah, I love that. Right. So it's important. Like we, if you can recognize something that needs to change, then let's do something about it. Instead of just being that person that grumbles or social media trolls, let's take that negative stuff away. Do something about it. Get involved. Like we've got a lot of committees on top of being the vice president of the BCBTA. I'm also chair of the conference committee because again, one of the things that I kept hearing at the conferences, one was, um, most people didn't attend our conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got 1,400 active members and we have about 200 people who attend. As a locum RVT, now I go to so many different clinics and I'm always shocked by the number of people who go, oh yeah, I should probably go to one of those one of these days. And I go, well, <laughs> let me tell you about the next one because I know you and I want to see you there. Yeah. Right? So if you want to be, if you want to see change, you've got to be the instrument of change. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've mentioned a couple times already, you've referred to your title as veterinary technologist. So the four year, uh, so at least in the U.S., to be a veterinary technologist means you have the bachelor's of science in veterinary technology. Uh, And so here um, we use the the credential or acronym like in California where I'm an RBT would be RBT with a lowercase g which you would then Mm. be a veterinary technologist the g being the four-year degree but it's not something that's like recognized in practice acts like I think most veterinarians if they see somebody call themselves an RVTG they have no idea what that means it's like so I'm curious with you because BCVTA if I'm not mistaken is British Columbia Veterinary Technologists Association. Is that right? So kind of talk about that a little bit, because that's sounds like it's perhaps more prevalent or more recognized in Canada, certainly than it is here. Yes. Um, So that is actually one of the things the BCVT was recently able to accomplish is title recognition out here in BC. 
Uh, it is different in Eastern Canada from Western Canada. Okay. So I moved from Ontario, which is on the east, to BC now, which is in the west. And in Ontario, I'm an RVT, so a registered veterinary technician. Okay. In BC, we are not technicians. We are technologists. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah, Does that so matter if you went to four years or two years? Uh, right now, no, it doesn't. Okay. It okay. is title protection for the term technologist. Interesting. Okay. Because yeah. One of the things that we had happen here quite often is we would have people refer to themselves as um, animal nurses, but nurse is a protected title. So we were, we would have people sort of co-opting another yeah. protected title. Yeah. So we were opening towards... up a can of worms down here in the States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So for us, that's where the distinction comes in is okay. that every province has its own title protection and we make a really good point of making sure that we're using the right title. Yeah. So because this is a recent change, I am still getting used to it. And periodically at meetings, I may accidentally slip up and say technician and at my lovely board always goes, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think that's very similar to here in the States where we have RVT, CVT, LVT, uh, LVMT. LVMT. It, it, it's very similar to, to the distinction we have here. It's, it's, it's state differences where, yeah, up there, it's provincial differences. Provincial. Is, that, yeah. is that the word? Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. And so did you guys choose the term technologist intentionally trying to get away a little bit from veterinary technician? Because that's probably also co-opted by unregistered <laughs> assistants. Yes. So you kind of said, we're, we're actually going to say veterinary technologist because like this term is already so muddied. We're just going to do something completely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Is that written into legislature or is that just something you guys decided to do? That is, uh, it's part of our bylaws now. Okay. And we are also working towards possibly um, collaborating with the CVBC, which is the College of Veterinarians of British Columbia. So uh, the goal is going to be that down the road, uh, we're either we either continue to remain an independent association or we fall under the CVBC, mm. which then opens up. It just gives us more ability to be able to create a definable scope of responsibilities, which if you go to Alberta, that's sort of the way that they've got it set up is that as a technologist, you have a very specific list of responsibilities that you can and cannot do depending on how many years you've been in the profession. And it's very different from that of what an assistant can do. Mm -hmm. Out here in BC, again, due to the supply and demand and the shortage of RVTs, we're seeing a lot of on-the-job trained or we're seeing a lot of assistants who are being asked to monitor surgeries, being asked to do post-operative care, place IV catheters. Again, if you're willing to train, that's wonderful. Um, but for me, that's a stepping stone towards the next step, which is, okay, you've got an interest, you've got a little bit of training, you've got some ability, let's send you to tech school. Yeah. Um, let's just dive into this. Um, you have a very unique list of areas that you focus on. Uh, how do you stay focused? How do like, is there one area that you like, you've got large animal lab animals, teaching, urgent care, all those things. Is, is there one area that you more gravitate towards or are you at a different location every single day? I'm right now mostly at a different location every single day. Wow. Um, I've just, yes, it's so interesting. It's not for everyone. Um, whenever but I, I bet go that keeps you sharp, right? That, that keeps you like, oh, yes. you've, 
things aren't mundane, right? Because you're doing something different every day. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Um, and no two clinics are the same. There's no such thing as like a standard, even the way IV catheters are taped. Everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, people are different at every single practice. So every time I go somewhere, it's like the first day of my career all over again, which is really interesting for me. And I get a lot of questions about, oh, well, it's really interesting that you're a locum RVT. Like, how did you get into it? Maybe I should do it. And I always tell people, listen, it's great. So long as you're okay with, you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There is no guarantees. There is no set schedules. You might be fully booked for one month and you may not get any bookings for the month after. Are you going to be okay with that? Because a lot of us really like our structure where we really like knowing where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and being able to get that steady paycheck. I have a lot more flexibility, which allows me to focus on the things that I want to do. Because part of working a full-time job was there were other things like the teaching on the side, the volunteering on the side, that it was really hard to be able to try to manage. But now I just work my schedule around the things that bring me joy. I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm also a relief tech, so although I'm I'm on the floor a lot less than I used to be, but for me it's the it's the the flexibility of the schedule to say. I don't want to work this week and I, I don't have to, like, I don't have to ask for yeah. time off. I don't feel like the, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're working, like go back to when you were living above the clinic, you feel that responsibility to your team. Whereas now I don't feel like if I don't fill a shift that's, that's open, I, I don't have that guilt of saying, eh, I'm just yeah. not going to do it. Cause I don't, it's not that I don't feel connection to the people that I would be working with. It's that it, not my circus, not my monkeys. So it's yes. not my responsibility to to feel that guilt, yes. which is one of the great things I love about it, is there's no guilt involved in not picking Absolutely. up a shift. Yeah, you don't feel that um, you don't feel like you're letting anybody down. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if if you're sick and you can't go in, yes, I, I feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Like the the one time that I got COVID and had a bunch of shifts lined up, I felt terrible Oof. about not being able yeah. to do that. Um, but, but other than that, if I can't feel a shift, somebody else will feel it. Not, yeah. not a big deal. Exactly. <laughs> um, so talk to us about, about your locum work. What what started that? What made you jump into that? What made you decide you wanted to go go forward with that? Yeah. So again, another one of those moments in my career where I had got had reached a point where it was, okay, do I want to stay in GP um, and continue to find the mythical unicorn clinic? <laughs> or do I want to pivot in my career? and try something I've never done before. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I went for the harder path and I went, oh, I've yeah. never, never, never done locuming and I've never, you know, owned my own business and didn't know what a business accountant was or yeah. professional <laughs> liability insurance or, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, uh, hundreds of other things that you've got to be responsible for. And, but yeah, just dove in and did it. And I just started this um, probably about eight months ago. Okay. And it's been life-changing. I honestly don't know if I could see myself going back to working at a practice full-time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Same. Is it yeah. just you that does that or do you have like other people that, that work with you? Right now it's just me, Yeah. Um, but I am looking to expand. So I've got a few vets who want to work with me as like a, um, a technologist yeah. surgeon team. 
So nice. we would go places and do like their demo together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I, and I work, I work with a, with a company because hmm. all that stuff that you described, the business account and all that stuff that is well over my head and <laughs> not something that I can, that I can deal with. So I, I yeah. have a company that I work with, which, man, that makes things so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm curious about your um, certification of acupuncture through the G Institute. Like what led you to pursue that? Um, and and I, I'm, it's, it's not anything I know anything about. So I'm thrilled to hear that there is something out there for technicians or technologists to be able to do this. Like, do you find your, yourself using or applying what you learned and, and getting to do that a lot? Or, or what did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I got into it because I was working at a facility that had a big rehab department. And one of the vets I worked with had been doing acupuncture on um, animals for about 25 years. But she worked independently. Uh, So she didn't have an assistant or a tech. She booked her own appointments, did her own schedule. Like everything was by herself. And she was looking to eventually retire. And there was another vet who wanted to learn as well. So there came a period when it just wasn't sustainable for her to be a one-man army. Mm-hmm. And she and I were you know, kind of working alongside each other. And I went, why don't you teach me? Like, why don't you teach me? And then I will take over uh, all of your bookings. I will take over the scheduling and, you know, send me to school for it. Uh, Let's see how much a technologist can be involved in this. So she was very much on board with it. And thank goodness for that. Uh, She sent me to the Shea Institute, which is out there in Florida. And it's a week long course and you stay there for the week and you learn all of the different techniques. You learn massage therapy as well, because it's part of the modalities. And you learn a lot about traditional Chinese medicine. Hmm. It's critical to have that knowledge because the clients that you get who are involved in this are very knowledgeable. They know if you know what you're talking about. And they know if you believe in what you're talking about. They're also going to be some of the most compliant clients. God bless them. There were days when like the clinic opened at nine and like 8.58, I would have someone peering (laughs) in through the windows. I'd be like, two more minutes. (laughs) So, And there's so much opportunity. When I was working there, I found myself involved in so many different aspects. So she would place the needles because placing of the needles is a considered something only a vet can do at this time Uh, okay but so she would place the needles and we did electroacupuncture so i would hook up the machine and uh, pick the most appropriate settings and keep the patient comfortable throughout the treatment period i would remove the needles do their massage at the end and then send them home so her role was putting the needles and if something came out i would let her know so she would replace it but we were able to double the number of patients we saw by doing that it drastically reduced her caseload. I learned a lot about traditional Chinese medicine and the medicines that she used. I mean, I, who's ever heard of five dragons or a Shen Kong? Or, <laughs> and if someone asked me what was in it, I would, you know, I'd be like, well, I can find you the Chinese textbook. Um, but I don't, you know, so there's, like there's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not reading it. I don't. I don't necessarily know what's in it. I just know it works Um, Mm -hmm. and I know what it's used for. So it's a huge learning curve. But again, another avenue where as a technologist, this is a whole other opportunity. 
And the place where now that I'm not working in that particular uh, clinic anymore, while I'm still not using acupuncture necessarily as much as I used to, when there are situations like patients under anesthesia who aren't breathing that well, there are acupuncture points that you can use to stimulate yeah. breathing. Mm-hmm. Neonates we, is another one. We do when, that with neonates for, yeah. for C-sections. You poke them in the exactly, nose. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. When I, and I, I love little bitey creatures like those ones that come into the hospital and they're land sharks. Those are like mm-hmm. my loves of my life because I have two Shebas and I just see my dog's faces all the time. <laughs> So there's calming <laughs> points that I can use that, and again, it's may not directly be related to TCM, but I'm still able to use all those skills. And I, I was curious, like, that was a question that I had was, is, is that something a technician can do? But I, I guess the, the veterinarian has to be the one to do the, the placement of the needles. Yes. And then you can do all the other stuff. Yes, um, exactly. Because I, I, I was unaware that technicians could even, like... I, I've worked with maybe three or four doctors that that did that that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, but never never with a technician. Um, so I was curious if that was something that even technicians could even do. Um, but yep. that's interesting to know. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your charity work. Um, my partner Robin is a veterinarian, and we work with a company or a charitable organization called Beyond Fences, and we do a lot of work with them. She does a lot of their veterinary care. And Wonderful. we just did, uh, a couple weeks ago, we did, uh, they call it Heyday. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be a, a, a company that would build fences for chain dogs um, huh. so that they wouldn't have to be chained up. They could be right. in fences. And now that they've built probably, gosh, four or 500 fences in the Durham wow. area, there's not as much of a need for the building of the fences because they've they've built all the fences Um, so now what we do is every every winter we go and we stuff the dog houses with hay um, and it's a big community event in um you know it takes a few hours and and it's great to do that but how did you get involved with that like what was your connection to to some type of charity work yeah and so i started off in it because one of the vets i was working with actually ran the victoria chapter of the organization i'm now involved with and i always wanted to be a part of it but again with uh, working full time in a vet hospital, the clinic days always fell on a day I was scheduled. Right. So I kept hearing about it, seeing photos of it. And then uh, when I finally moved to another city, bought my own house, started this locum work, I had time. So yeah. I reached out to the local chapter and uh, the organization is called Helping Paws. And they provide veterinary care to low income families in the city. It is one of the most like amazing organizations. It's a veterinarian and her team. They all work together at the same vet clinic and they actually close the clinic for about half a day to be able to come down as a team and do this. And you can tell that this group of people loves working together. They have one Mm -hmm. of the lowest staff turnovers of any vet clinic in this area. And it shows. At our last most recent vet, um, at our most recent clinic, in the span of three hours, we saw 90 plus animals. Ooh, and that involves full physical exams, updating all of the vaccines, deworming all of them, giving them a microchip, and treating anything like skin stuff, um, dental care, giving them estimates for all of those procedures. 90 plus animals. Yeah, that's a and lot. It's a, it's a small team. There's maybe eight to 10 people. Wow, that's crazy. 
Yeah. When, when Robin does that, they do like a, a vaccine clinic where, mm -hmm. you know, they just meet at somebody's house and I think they do like 30 animals in a span of three hours, um, yes. just updating all their vaccines. Yeah. And, and it, it, it never fails that, you know, some, so-and-so was supposed to come with two animals and they show up with five. Yes. It, 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 that's, that's how it happens all the time. 100%. Um, but that, Robin absolutely loves that work. That's, it's probably one of the most, like if she could do that full time, she would. That, yeah. That's most the most rewarding work for for. Absolutely. Um, so we're getting, we're almost at an hour now. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we? I mean, we've talked about a lot. Um, have we touched on all of your, <laughs> all of the, <laughs> the the places that you have your hands in in this in this profession? Is there anything else we missed that we that we need to talk about? I think we've done a great job of covering sort of my history. <laughs> the one thing that I, I would love to be able to talk about is. Part of the reason why I wanted to be involved in podcasts and such is um, there's not a lot of people out there who look like me. Sure. Yeah. Our industry is predominantly Caucasian. And mm -hmm. we recently had a wage survey out here in BC in 2022. And of the 405 people who took the survey, five people, now 5%, five, five people identified as people of color. Wow. Five yeah. out of 405. Wow. Yes. Wow. Is, the, uh, is yeah. that a geographical situation? Because in North Carolina, where I work, I work, I've worked with a lot of colored people, but mm -hmm. in, in New Hampshire, zero, mm -hmm. um, because there's just not the population of, of, I mean, it's a, it's a very white state, um, yeah. whereas North Carolina <laughs> is not a very white state. So is, is that more of a, a regional difference or is that not, does that not, not match up? Region, I think does play a role in it because mm -hmm. when I was out in Ontario, certainly I would say probably 10 to 15%, you would mm -hmm. find someone of color mm -hmm. uh, versus out here in BC where the majority of practices I go to, I'm probably going to be the only person. Yeah. Yeah. But predominantly I would say, especially here in Canada, it is definitely a, a Caucasian dominated industry. When I went to school, none of my instructors looked like me. The majority of my class didn't look like me. I think there were two or three of us who would have identified as being from Asian descent out of a class of 30. And going through my career, I don't see a lot of managers. I don't see a lot of um, district managers. I don't see speakers who look like me or who are from mm -hmm. different ethnicities. Yeah. And to me, representation in medicine is extremely important because if you can't see yourself in those shoes, right. if you can't see yourself advancing, you're not even going to, the motivation to try isn't there. Right. And so for me, this all kind of started because the um, executive director, I love her, Amber from the VCBTA, fabulous individual, she and I have gotten very close and she got to the point where she was comfortable enough to go, okay. So like, where are you from though? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I, I'm actually, I'm South Indian. And we had a whole conversation about it. And at the end of it, she went, you know, this is really interesting. Uh, I need you to write an article about this. And I laughed and she laughed. And then she went quiet and went, yeah, no, but like, seriously, I need you to write an article about this. And I thought to myself, well, that's crazy. Like, who am I to write an article about anything? Like, I'm... I'm a tech. Like, yeah, sure. I've been doing this for a little while. I'm not an author. I'm not, you know, I don't have a bunch of credentials after my name and imposter syndrome, big time. <laughs> yeah. Yep, big yep, time. Yep. Um, so, you know, talked it out with mentors and all of that. And 
the big thing that one of my mentors said to me was, okay, why don't you go out there and start Googling it? Find other South Indian technologists who are talking about their experiences. I said, okay, yeah, that, <laughs> that shouldn't be hard. There's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, couldn't find any. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't find any. Is uh, is there uh, have you, have you lived in, in India or? Yeah, you have. Oh, so is there a big population of like, what is the, what does the profession look like in India? Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we're going to embark on a whole other podcast yeah. topic. <laughs> um, India is a very interesting region because it is also going through a tremendous amount of change, especially with the introduction of technology. The newer generation, again, is much more open-minded, much more westernized, for lack of a better term. But my parents' generation, for example, spending money on a dog would be crazy. Like dogs were not things that came into the house. And you did not take them to the vet or get them shots. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge, huge number of um, rabies and distemper cases in India. Because oh, okay. Routine vaccination is just not a thing. Right. It's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the, we see out here, a lot of patients who have distemper because they're imported from India. And out there, being a veterinary nurse is considered a dirty profession. There is not a lot of respect for it. You're either a doctor or you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. Um, so, I mean, for my parents, even though I've been doing this profession for 10 years now, and I've got this varied background, I just spent last week working in the ICU. In their mind, my job starts and ends at cleaning up fecal material. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's part of what I do. Sure. <laughs> and sometimes, it's on the list, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, absolutely. It's part of what I do. I'm like, but that's not my job. Like, that's not right. the entirety of it. Right. But it's not something that they could ever wrap their head around. Like, even if I took them to a clinic and showed them what I did, they would still have this mental impression that this is what nurses do. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so did you ever write the article? Like, I'm in the process. Okay. 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 Yeah, okay. I'm still so in the process. When, when that is done and published, send that to us. We would yeah. love I to will. share that. Yeah. 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 Please. Please. Yeah, I absolutely will. Very cool. Um, looking like at future episodes, so, you know, you reached out to us and uh, obviously like these are always some of my favorite episodes. Is there somebody else you would want to see in your seat for us to interview on a future episode or a topic that you think yeah. we should talk about too? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the people I would recommend is actually one of my mentors. Uh, her name is Sanani Retniak and she's from Ontario. She is she's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> um, she's an RVT of going on now 20 years who didn't Good, spend nice. a lot of time in clinic, which I always thought was super interesting. She does a lot of speaking. She's one of the only technologists to be part of some vet organizations. And she was one of the only female technologists to ever be allowed on the board of one of, of a vet only organization. Oh, nice. Interesting. So she's an absolutely phenomenal person. Yeah, if you have if you have contact information, yeah. get that to us. We yeah, love to talk to her. Please. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Maria, we are now down to your final question, your would you rather question. Are you ready okay. for it? Yes. All right, you got to pick number one, two, or three. Let me know which one you want. Okay. Uh, let's go with the. Uh, let's go with number two. Number two. All right. 
Would you rather have a photographic memory or have the ability to forget anything you want to forget? Oh, definitely forget anything I want to forget. <laughs> I'm already halfway there anyways. I'm basically a goldfinch. I was I was thinking that by the time by the time you get 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 up there in age, there's a lot of stuff that you forget that you don't want to forget. Yeah. Um I would much rather have the photographic memory and, and be able to just Fair. have that stuff like right at the forefront of my brain. Um <laughs> I, but when I was I was looking at this question and hearing you talk about the the, the doctor that told you that you you weren't going to be a tech, I'd be like, oh, that'd be something I'd want to forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely things that I would love to remember, but my brain is like one of those really small, like eight gigabyte memory cards. There's only so much space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, well, Marina, thank you very much for uh, for taking some time out to chat with us today. We really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Uh, and, and definitely, when that when you're done with that article, yeah. let us know where it is. We would love to yeah. to put that out to our listeners for them to read and, and enjoy as well. So, thank you very much, um, caffeinators. It was great to be with you guys again, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye, everybody. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators! We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.